When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For the first time ever, I saw an inflatable Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Oh, wow. <laughs> and on the <laughs> second level of this person's house, they had an inflatable turd wearing a Santa hat. So oh. they were kind of like all over the place. Very I diversified. Yeah. It sounds very Portland. That would really fly here. <laughs> oh, awesome. So good. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a writer, writer but... <laughs> With us today is Chelsea Beaker, who is the author of the novel Godshot, which was longlisted for the Center for Fiction's first novel prize, and the forthcoming story collection Heartbroke, coming in 2022. Her writing has been published by the Paris Review, Granta, The Cut, McSweeney's, LitHub, Electric Literature, and others. She is the recipient of a Rona Jaff. Okay, I know I ask this all the time. Is it Rona <laughs> Jaff or Jaffe? We're keeping this in. It's Jaffe. I mean, we should keep yeah. it in because I, I'm an idiot. No, All right. education. She is the recipient of a Rona Jaffe Writers Award and a McDowell Colony Fellowship. Originally from California's Central Valley, she now lives in Portland, Oregon with her husband and two children where she teaches writing. Welcome, Chelsea. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm we so happy so, to be here. Yay. Uh, we're so happy to have you. Um, as always, we want to start off with the work part of the working life, the writing life. And um, Chelsea, I understand you've got a little something that you're going to read for us today. I do. So this is, I'm going to be reading from sort of this newer novel draft that I've been working on um, this year. So yes. So it's, you know, it's new. It's a little baby. Um, (laughs) I'm just going to read a few pages from that. And so this is kind of toward the beginning. I don't think I need to explain anything. Great. The problem was breastfeeding. See, I had been breastfeeding first big and then little, a commitment that had lasted nearly five solid years of hormonal witchcraft, minus the nine months I was pregnant with little, of course, which was no vacation, but just a blip where I did not have a child's mouth pulling milk from me. A few months ago, though, little stopped having her nana. She was nearly three. It was fine. Perfect timing, I thought, to adjust before preschool would start in the fall. It was a bit surprising. She had always been devoted to nursing in a sport-like fashion bordering on obsession. If we were home, she wanted my boobs out and available. 
She would nurse on one and grip the other like a stress ball. If we were in public, she would jam her sticky hand down my blouse and squirrel her way to my nipple, whispering Nana in my ear, and then yelling Nana if the nipple was too secure, thrashing her head, eyes blazing across the room, as if perhaps it had escaped under someone's table, jumped into another woman's purse. <laughs> Often I nursed her wherever we were, just so the yelling would stop, once pulling an entire dress up and bunching it around my neck, revealing thick cotton high-waisted underwear that I rationalized were more full coverage than most teenager shorts. But still, I caught a few furtive glances even in our progressive feminist corner of the world. But Little was happy with the arrangement, my level of discomfort in equal measure to her comfort, and she would curl up big baby style, her eyes looking up at me, saucers of love. We would both breathe sighs of relief, and I would settle my gaze on the middle distance, feeling less like a human than a talking snack machine, but at the same time more than a human too, like a super version of woman, making actual edible food with my body to no one's applause. That ended when she became entranced by Big, as if she were just waking up to the fact that she had an older sister at all, and along with this realization came the fact that Big did not nurse. Big used a big girl cup, no lid. Little decided she needed one too. I took our picture in the mirror as she nursed for what I intuitively felt was the very last time and posted it to Instagram. Someone's done nursing. Hashtag bittersweet. Hashtag five years of breastfeeding. Hashtag slow childhood. Hashtag fed is best. <laughs> You had to add the fed is best hashtag or off with your head. By then, I had learned to play motherhood mostly correctly and inclusively on social media, which turned out to be an adult game, like most other things. A barrage of comments had flooded in. Some were congratulatory and some were stunned that I had still been nursing at Little's geriatric age. One person I didn't know who was hiding behind a cartoon of a cat for a profile picture said, well, you're a woman, not a cow. And I wasn't sure how to read it. Was it mean or funny? It didn't matter. I had thousands of followers and at this point didn't care a lot what they said to me. But there was one comment that stood out. Mama Candy 291 said, watch out for the weaning sads. Good luck. It totally fucked me up. You'll probably be fine. But if not, Godspeed. The weaning sads. I forgot it as soon as I read it and moved on. My breasts stopped making milk without any objection. No clogged ducts, nothing. Every few days, I squeezed my nipples in the shower and slowly the spray of milk slowed to a droplet, then to a small yellow ooze. I had officially graduated. I had done it. I had made it through the baby stage. I bought myself a dress I'd been eyeing with a Victorian neckline that was totally breastfeeding unfriendly that I could finally wear in peace and forgot about it. But my body forgot nothing. The sads arrived a few weeks later and not just any. These sads were like a container settling over me, fuzzing out the normal view. They were alive and vibrational. Words like panic and rage come to mind, unreasonable worry, and do not forget the intrusive and vividly disastrous thoughts attached to that worry. But yet it remained hard to explain just what this feeling was. I could not articulate what went on in my mind to the husband because hearing myself explain it all out loud would only make it more real somehow. And I knew his reaction would be mild and diffusing. Everything's fine, Clove, he would say. He believed in my ability to self-regulate too much. He had too much confidence in life working out. Silence would fall over us. I'd want him to say more, something helpful or even observational. That sounds really hard. 
But no, he'd turn the conversation to an unrelated topic, trying perhaps to distract me, bless him, some tidbit he had learned from that Zac Efron show where he travels the world, taking his shirt off when possible, or a comment about life as he knew it. Can you believe the Beastie Boys are like old now? I'll stop there. Oh I love God. it. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, does it feel, you know, I, I've seen so many tweets, I guess I should say, or comments of women sort of talking about the same thing, talking about this, this, a bunch of weirdness happening after they've been done nursing. And, and it feels like a very specific, specific thing, but it's not right. Like it's, I guess my, my question is, does it feel revolutionary to you to write about this? Does it feel, how does it feel to write about this? Cause it feels personal and specific and but at the same time like it's going to be music to a lot of women's ears yeah I mean my personal experience with it was so mystifying and it took me so long to figure out that after I'd weaned my daughter I'd really had this kind of hormonal crash that you might compare to like a postpartum depression anxiety situation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I had absolutely no frame of reference for that I mean no one had ever mentioned that was a thing she was like two so I was really out of the mindset of postpartum at all Mm -hmm. I didn't even think about it and it was like this whole year of trying to kind of scrape myself back up to a normal sense of of life and and yeah, I mean, it, it was a lot. And yes, when you start Googling it, you find this whole community, usually on these mom boards, mm-hmm. like Mama Center and, and the mums boards of the UK, where women are talking about this. But, you know, I was just talking to a doula the other day, and I asked her, do you get a lot of moms mentioning this? And, and is there education around it? And she kind of, you know, she said there wasn't a lot of education around it. She hoped there would be more soon, but right now there's, there's not, it's certainly not in any handbook I was handed after I had a child. So, yeah. It's, it, yeah. it almost feels to me like, like the same way I feel when I read someone has written about having a period or, um, you know, just in general, when I see that in print, I feel like the angels are singing. Like, I feel like, oh my God, you know, like, yes, somebody's talking about this. Somebody's, you know, addressing this thing that we actually have so little, um, you know, like scientific research on, um, you know, and it feels like this is the way to open that door, right? Like it's, it, that's why I came to the word revolutionary. It feels like, yes. Okay. Like somebody should be talking about this. And you think about the predicament that is set up and the thing that you just read, the fact that a pretty innocuous comment could have so much running like electric through it, which it clearly did, like one pretty tame comment just kind of shows like, wow, this stuff really isn't talked about. And the fact that that could have like some kind of darkness behind it just shows that none of this is talked about it at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, definitely. And there's a need for it. There's a need for it. I was reading Ordinary Insanity by Sarah. I'm going to not say her last name, right? So I don't even want, really want to try. It's like Menendek. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but she writes all about postpartum anxiety. And I almost threw the book across the room when I read the part that says that more postpartum anxiety studies, like clinical studies have been done on men than women. Oh my God. Oh my yeah. goodness. I just felt so uncared for in that moment. I was like, fuck it all. What hope do I have to read about, you know, postpartum weaning disorders or something when Ugh. not even this really basic thing is... Um, being clinically studied very much. So it was important for me to start to write about this in a super specific way. And now's the right time, I feel like, because with the pandemic and so many moms continuing to work from home or having their jobs not bend to making their lives work, all this stuff is just like ratcheted up in people's lives and thinking, you know, even, even dads, of course, who are adjacent, but like, yeah, it's just, it really is. All right. It's enough. Let's, let's hear all this. Let's, let's get this out here. Yeah. I, I, I can remember, um, you know, like being a nursing mom, uh, it really is. It, it really becomes clear how much is on the mom, but it is oh treated God. like such a natural thing that we do that it's sort of like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, no big deal. Um, yeah. and, and then on top of that, Chelsea, you're, you know, are you, I was going to ask you if you're still nursing Finn, but I don't need to ask you that. I was just going to say, <laughs> you are a mom of two small children and you're writing these, you wrote this collection that's coming out uh, in two years and then you're writing a new thing, you know, like what, how do you, how do you get that done? What does your writing life look like? Mm-hmm. That's such a good question. You know, I have this sensation that I'm never really doing anything. And then sometimes my husband or like a friend will be like, yeah, but didn't you just write this novel draft? Or like, didn't you just write a short story? Or didn't you just write a screenplay? Like all these things that I'm like, well, yeah, but, but my daily life just feels so inundated with just like cutting up snacks and, (laughs) and then cleaning the snacks off the floor over like in a loop. You know, I just buy food to throw it on the ground. and it. That's what we do too. It's just yeah. floor, it's floor food. <laughs> it's yep. floor food. It's organic floor food, which totally. is even more depressing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, so it is getting done and it's sort of mysterious how a, a lot of times it's just happening when they're, they are asleep. So if I can get an early bedtime, that's a huge win. Um, I might get two hours that night of writing time or... Mm-hmm. Um, a nap time, which right now I'm really not getting much of that because my son has started revolting or we're in some weird phase where I'm hoping the nap's not gone forever, but Mm. it's not been working out the last month. So Mm. um, that makes me panic a little bit because that day, (laughs) that daytime hour, hour and a half was really important. And yeah, let's just hope that's not over. But um, it's, it's just the sleepy. And then the weekends, I do a lot of weekend cramming where my husband who has a more traditional like nine to five situation, he'll, he'll just, we'll switch. He'll just be the primary caregiver on Saturday and Sunday. And then I go into the basement and, and kind of do what I can, but you know, it's still, I'm still, they still know they can access me. Like tonight I had to comb out this like softball size, knot in my daughter's hair because I was the only one that could do it you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like they know I'm here still so it's <laughs> just, you know I'm still accessible but it does get done I think it's just um 
I think it's just this commitment that, that I'm going to accept whatever I can get and I'm going to take it. Like, mm-hmm. like I'll take the 30 minutes if that's all that there is. And, and I'll just commit to doing it for just that short time. And, mm-hmm. and every day is looking a little different. I think pan, the answer to this pandemically is similar to the answer would have been before, but it's just so heightened now. So mm-hmm. every little bit I'm like, okay, I'll take that 30 minutes, you know, it doesn't need to be this, this longer set of time. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how, how parents can fill the time that they have. Right. I, f- I feel like I've said that 400 times now, but it really, it's, it's just crazy how we, we know, okay, I think I've got this block of time coming up right. and this is what I'm going to do. So help me. <laughs> Has uh, totally. your relationship to the people who read your work first changed at all during the pandemic? Uh, Lindsay and I were talking a little bit about that. I was just like, I feel like I've been leaning on some of these buddies, just first readers a little bit more. And uh, I remember listening to an interview with, I think a friend of yours, Genevieve Hudson. And I think she mentioned that maybe you guys were each other's first readers. And I just kind of wanted to hear about what that, what that means in your life to have people reading your work early on. Yes. Um, I like like with a short story I would send to to Jen or maybe my friend Kira like after that first draft I would say like here take a take a look at this um but with a novel I'm a little bit more protective of it when it's in this kind of baby phase where I almost fear getting too much feedback about it when it's still so wobbly like Mm -hmm. I want just to be working with it myself so in that sense, um, there's not a lot of interaction with longer projects, but definitely with those shorter things. And what I actually, when I think about it, what I do a lot is I'll text Jen, like a huge swath of text from oh, cool. like an excerpt. <laughs> and nice. I'll just bombard yeah. her with that. <laughs> and then she'll offer just, usually it's more that we're just encouraging each other, you know? <laughs> Like, oh, yes. I love, I love this part or that's so funny or whatever, but it feels like this nice back and forth that's, it's short, it's accessible. And it's sort of like ringing this little bell, like, hey, we're still out here. We're still doing it. Here's like, I did this today. This funny paragraph came out or something. Um, yeah. More of that versus like a more traditional, like reading and feedback structure, maybe. Um, nice. What about you two? I was just going to um, say that that your relationship with, with Jen and maybe with uh, T. Kira, T. Kira Madden, um, who wrote one of the best memoirs I've ever read in my life, so um, uh, reminds me of kind of like the key tenet of all the workshops that I do, which is when we talk about each other's work, we're going to talk about either what we see in it or what we love about it. Mm-hmm. Because I think all too often we we sort of slag on it or, and it's very objective also, right? Like it's very objective to think, well, this isn't my kind of thing, or I don't like how it ended or blah, blah, blah. But, but it becomes almost more like, I'm going to help you build something because I'm going to, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to tell you what I think is cool about it or what I learned from it or whatever. And it's amazing how um, much more helpful that kind of feedback is in my opinion than, um, well, this just doesn't work or you need to, you know, beef this up or who is this, you know? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I used to really prefer prescriptive feedback just to, cause I felt like maybe I was getting a more honest read. And even if I disagreed with it, at least I would had information that I could, you know, recognize as being genuine. But 
that is no longer the case. I, uh, I think I'm getting just softer and softer and I want more, <laughs> I just want more cheerleading. I want more like, Hey bud, I love you. This is great. And let's keep going kind of thing. Well, yeah, because like, I think intuitively we know, like we know if a scene needs something else or we might know some of those things already and what we're really needing, right, is that, is that encouragement, is the fortification of what's going right in the piece and, and there's space for, for figuring out the revision stuff later. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And the people mm-hmm. close, I mean, the people close to us, you know, they know that we're going to keep trying. <laughs> they know that right, this, is, right. this is not an end point, like you're saying. I mean, this is, this is a checkpoint along the route here. So absolutely. Yeah. I, and also I think about how many revisions I went through with my novel Godshot and, and, and how different it was and how maybe if I had sent it to someone too early and they, and I had followed some, you know, advice that didn't really suit it. it. It may have put me off track. I don't know. Like maybe I had to go through that seeking in a really solitary way for a while to to know it well enough myself to hear feedback that was more critical. What did your revising pro- process look like with Godshot? You know, like what was sort of prompting you through each revision? Well, actually, my agent. Um, who is really editorial and and really hands-on and and really wonderful i felt like from the get-go we were really on the same page and so she was she was offering some like more pointed ideas about structure and and things that for me at least like writing a novel it's like why would i know how to do that why would i know how to write a novel before ever writing a novel it's Mm -hmm. such a specific skill like And so it really felt like this learning process where she would be like, so, you know, if you drew out your structure on a piece of paper, that might be helpful. And so then I would do that. Or, you know, it was like her giving me these ideas for how to see it from more of a distance. Because really, I think for a long time in the writing of it, I felt too close to it. Or I just felt like I couldn't visualize the timeline or the, the structure in this larger way to make it a little more dynamic. And it was very long, you know it was a lot of trimming and it was a lot of figuring out, you know, what does a story structure look like for this particular story and how can I kind of maximize what's here? How much, uh, how much got trimmed from when the book sold to what was actually published, Chelsea? Well, we did a big trim before we even sent it out. And then after I started working with Jonathan Lee at Catapult, he he was like you're gonna need to get rid of like another hundred pages probably oh (laughs) Oh my goodness gracious holy crap it was it really and i was like i knew i knew that that was definitely gonna happen you knew it was gonna Um, be that much i did i think i had a feeling (laughs) it was really it was too long i mean i and in the end i don't know that we fully took out that much like that exact amount but but quite a big chunk um and what's crazy is that the story didn't change at all. Like that's just how much mm-hmm. <laughs> was in there that could be taken out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my process is very much like writing a lot and then a lot of time goes into molding that mm-hmm. and getting rid of a lot. You know, I, I love that you're saying this because I think a lot of people who, you know, felt like you did before you wrote the novel, which is sort of like, what, I, I don't have this skill or I, I don't, what am I supposed to do? Someone tell me what to do. And it is really for me, and it sounds like for you as well, it is a lot of like feeling around in the dark and um, mm-hmm. just trying things. And then, you know, you're, 
your editor at Catapult sounded like he saw what it could be and he believed in it. And, and that's what editors do, right? Like they, they are able to sort of work with you toward this thing that, you know, that works for, for everyone. Um, but it really is something, I think it's something that I have to teach myself every single time um, to, to write a novel because I, I just, I don't have a formula and I don't, um, I don't want a formula. And, um, and so a lot of times I feel, you know, very scared and unsure. And every once in a while I feel like super punk rock, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I thought going into this new novel draft that I'm working on, I was like, well, you know, I have experience from this last time. And so I, there's things I'll avoid this time. You know, there's, I'll streamline this process a bit and, um, and no, like that's not, it's not going to be streamlined. No, <laughs> I'm no. Like, I, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm doing the same thing because that's just what I do. And right. that's fine, you know. Because <laughs> that's what's going to make it a Chelsea Beaker book, right? Right, like, right. I remember I tried to keep a, I did, I kept a daily journal for when I wrote Eat Only When You're Hungry, my second novel, because I thought like, I'm going to keep myself honest. Um, I had like all the Goodreads reviews of ugly girls in my head. And I was like, I am going to be better. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to like remember my intentions on every page and, you know, Mm. I'm going to write about, and it didn't matter. I never read my journal after I was done writing the book. (laughs) I still have it somewhere, but it's just like, you know, it's always just going to be you doing you, right? Like it's, and eventually there'll be a hunk of rock that you can chisel into something. Yeah. And each novel, I mean, this novel has already really presented me with specific, um, I don't want to call them challenges, I guess more like riddles that I'm going to be needing to solve, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that are new to me that are going to be new skills that I'll adapt through doing this. Mm -hmm. So, so that's exciting too, right? Absolutely. Do you approach short fiction the same way as a novel in, in early days with a project? Do you start with language or do you have some kind of sense of a character? What usually like gets you going into a piece? Yeah, short fiction feels so voice driven. I mean, for me, it just feels like I'll, I'll hear a voice and then I'll let it start talking. But, but I don't know. Yeah, I feel like with a short story, there is something different about it where often it just presents itself to me. And sometimes it, it comes in like one really fast um, purge almost. Mm-hmm. And then I can work with that. And it feels contained in a nice way. You know, I wrote a lot of stories while I wrote my novel as a way to take a break from the mm-hmm. novel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, by the end, I was like, well, it turns out that all of that evading the novel was another book. So cool. But, but yeah, I think short fiction for me can really feel so much fun and like such a vacation often. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It just feels so voice, voice heavy. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by during breaks? I think sometimes people who maybe are, are starting out writing stories or trying to write a novel, it can be a little daunting to think about, okay, I'm stuck here with my novel. Does that mean it's okay to like devote space in my brain to this short project? Or so were you doing that, you know, when you were kind of reaching a stopping place in revision or when you were stumped or was it something that you kind of had built into your novel writing process? Yeah, it felt very much like 
you know, I would sit down to write and if it just felt, you know, that feeling where you're like, man, this isn't really clicking along today. Mm -hmm. This just, I'm not feeling that thing. And I could just recognize that and be like, well, then today's not the day. It's all right. You know, and it's not like I had anyone like on the other line desperate for my book. So I, (laughs) I could take, (laughs) I could take that time. You know, it wasn't like a big deal. I would just, but it felt so good to just still be writing though. And often maybe the stories would be contained in the same world or the same kind of temperature as the, as the novel. Mm. Um, it was like another way in. Um, but yeah, it was just more intuitive where I was like, I can accept that not every day I sit down to my novel is going to be that productive. So if I'm feeling one way to do something else, I'll just listen to that. And it just makes life a lot easier. Definitely. I love that idea of being open to the work, speaking to each other. McGuane has this thing where he says when he's writing a story that he really knows is working things from his everyday life and from just in his day to day that he's paying attention to seep into the story as a way that he knows that it's still alive to himself and I wow. think that's so much mm. what you're talking about. Just the fact that, all right, we can keep this open. Here we go. Like, I'm still with it. I'm still with it. Mm-hmm. I love that. Like when you, like you work the alarm that's going off into the dream you're having. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. Chelsea, I remember us talking at one point that you um, keep a journal and you write like the meanest things in it. <laughs> I don't, is yeah. that part? Of, I, I would yeah. love to hear you talk about that. Well, um, so I call it rage journaling (laughs) and I love it. I I think that, so it was sort of inspired by, I don't know if either one of you have heard of the work of Dr. John Sarno kind of in the eighties where he had a whole theory about, you know, physical pain is this more emotional manifestation of, of anger. So Mm -hmm unresolved anger finds a way to manifest in the body in back pain or headaches or whatever. Um, and I was really interested in this and, and read a lot about it. And, and his cure for, for pain was to have this journaling practice where essentially you were writing like the most awful thoughts you could think of. We all have them, Mm -hmm. but we edit them very quickly. Like even in journaling, I think a lot of people journal. So they think, well, maybe that's the same thing. But if I'm journaling, I might have this really awful thought, but I'll edit it to have some sense of resolution or some deeper meaning right away. You know, Mm -hmm. like today was really hard, but, Mm -hmm. but this other, cause we're just conditioned to always be, if we don't look on the bright side, then, then we're not grateful for X, Y, or Z. Um, and, and while that's really useful, like gratitude is so useful and necessary, there's also, I think, a place that is really productive in just getting out our most pure, irrational, angry thoughts somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it does feel like a purging and it does feel like a relief and it and it is, it is for no one. I mean, they're destroyed afterward. There's, mm-hmm. It's not like I would keep it. it. It's this very specific thing and, and often leads me to really surprising things, surprising things that I maybe I'm still holding on to that I maybe don't even like remember or realized I remembered, but then boom, there it is, you know? Hmm. And I just started doing that and I like it 
in another sense, because it's like no other writing that I'm doing creatively. It's just its own purge Mm -hmm. and it's just for me. And, Mm -hmm. and there's just some, even as a parent, right? So little is just ours. (laughs) Right. Oh my gosh. Suddenly everything (laughs) belongs to someone else um, or multiple other little people. Um, And, but not this, it's like, I can write like the most foul thought I had about, (laughs) I don't even want to say about who it'll be, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, I can write it there and and, and then it's fine. And then it's gone. I don't know. I find it to be healing. And I think a lot of other people based on his work, I mean, have reported that it's healing for them too. So it it just made me think about, I remember doing an event with, um, with T. Kira Madden, where she she said she was tired of people asking her if her memoir was cathartic for her because mm-hmm. she felt that the catharsis had been done in therapy. Yeah. And it made me think like Chelsea is doing her catharsis elsewhere. And now she is able to clearly write using things from her life in her fiction yeah. rather than sort of writing something because you can't say it out loud. You can't say it to anyone and then t- turning it into a story, you know? Right. Um, do you feel like it helps you in that way? Is it is it more helpful, like in your writing? Is it more helpful as a mother to have this kind of journal, or what? Like, what do you think? Yeah, I think it bleeds over into my into my writing, where it's the experience of not feeling blocked. So, like when mm-hmm. I do get that time to sit down, I have more of a free channel into what I want to write, mm-hmm. and I'm not wading through so much. And and then on the other side, it's like in my more emotional life, it, I feel like when the pandemic started, it, it became very obvious to me and before that I was holding a lot of anger that I had for many years, probably forever, had told myself a story about it to make it okay mm-hmm. or to give it, I don't know, some sort of deeper dramatic meaning in the grand scope of my life it's like we're storytellers so I don't know if you guys do this but I think I I'll tell myself these stories about things that happened to me in my childhood or whatever that make them a little more palatable maybe Mm -hmm. even romantic to have so much meaning that I can glean from them but at the base of them is actually like a super unresolved basic anger of like no, like that just wasn't okay. I'm really angry about it. And just exploring mm-hmm. that without immediately rationalizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've found to be necessary so that that anger doesn't come out in ways that I don't want it to now, you know, towards my children or toward mm-hmm. my partner or whoever. Um, I felt, I just felt that it was time to finally address that. That's so interesting to me because I think one thing when you can really tell that someone is all over whatever it is they're writing, you know, when you, when, when something just feels like it's really connecting, I always think of the word control. Um, you know, this writer is showing control. Just the fact that I completely trust this person to just leave me along here, whether, you know, despite any kind of stylistic thing or a barrier to entry for whatever reason, it's just, you trust because of the control. And I feel like so much of what you're talking about is just, you are, you are learning to control all these different elements in your actual life better to help you do the same on the page. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Cause I don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all, we're all working toward it. <laughs> uh, it's funny, Alex, cause you're writing 
feels very controlled. Mm. Um, yeah, maybe. Well, maybe so. I think and, you know, it feels so different from the inside. I feel like, you know, that's something Lindsay and I talk a lot about. Um, mm-hmm. She'll say something and I'll be like, are you out of your mind? This is amazing. Or this is like, what are you talking about? And the experience on the inside from creating all this stuff is so different. I feel like than mm-hmm. often what the reader is experiencing. Uh, yeah, just look at Goodreads to figure that out. There you go. <laughs> what is never, going on there? Actually, never look yeah, at what it. What is going on there? I swore myself off of that. Why? Why do they do like it? One one week after my book came out, I was like, um, I'm actually going to have to see myself out of this arena. <laughs> oh, and I it really, it I can, did. <laughs> it, it it is it is ruinous. Okay. <laughs> it is. I'm not sure what's going on there. Maybe that's like the rage journal of of the of society right there. Oh, Goodness. I think you're onto something. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to start doing my rage journaling there. Oh, well, you're, you're joining idea. millions. You're joining millions give, doing the same. Well, I'm going to give the book five stars and then I'm just going to talk about something else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just give it, the stars are all that really matters. So. It is. It is. That's fine. <laughs> well, it's confusing because sometimes I'll think this book is amazing and I'll go oh, yeah. and, and, and there are people that agree with me. So I'm like, okay, well then the people that hate my book must be right. But then I'll think this book is amazing and I'll go and Goodreads has given it 3.2 or whatever. And it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's disheartening. It's it not for us to know. It isn't for us to know. That's so true. That's so true. Chelsea, uh, can you talk about titles real quick? Because the, both titles of your books are stunners and I want to know how you arrive at them or if they came from other people or are you the kind of person that starts with a title? Well, I would say with short fiction, the titles feel so much easier um, Mm. and often present themselves like immediately or even first. And then with my novel and the short story collection title, I don't know, they felt harder, like especially Godshot, where for probably three years I was writing it, I had a different title and then a novel came out with that same title. So say it. What is it? It was eat only well, when you're hungry. That's what it was. It's <laughs> <laughs> revealed. Um, well, for a long time, I it wasn't even really a conscious title. I just put something at the top of the page that um, it was just peach. I just called it peach in sure. my mind. Um, the town is Peaches, California. It's like right. agricultural. Um, I wasn't super attached to it, but yet when I saw this other novel come out called Peach, I felt suddenly very attached to it. And I was mm. like, oh, oh, oh no, like now what? So um, I, I feel like Godshot was always in the mix though. Um, mm. And I have like these long lists that we were trying to figure, like find a new title and kind of mine it for other ideas. And I always liked a longer title myself, like mm. these long sentence-like titles. Um, but it just didn't feel like it fit the, this book. So at one point I thought maybe it was called Your Body is Not a Lemon. And um, ultimately we just went another direction that mm. packed a little more punch. But that one was more collaborative between like my agent, my editor and, and me, I think, versus right. short fiction feels much easier. Um, and then Heartbroke was, is just the title of one of the stories and, and it felt really right for the collection once, um, my editor suggested that one. So, mm. so yeah, I owe it to, to other people, I think. 
that's definitely true for me as well. And oh yeah, um, tell it. And I, oh, I was just going to say, I've, I have felt like a dumb dumb <laughs> about it for a long time, but now I feel much better. <laughs> My editor at FSG was the one who suggested eat only when you're hungry. And um, I think what for, was it before? I, it was it? nothing. It was nothing. Oh, okay. It was untitled. Yes. Um, I, w- I was going to call it Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I love both, actually. Greg. I, I fucking this love the novel, idea of Greg. a novel named Greg. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. Um, well, I would have read anything you put out there and there immediately go. adored it. Because well, thank I'm, you. Can I pause to just say I'm such a Lindsay Hunter super fan? <gasps> yeah, duh. Um, I am. I, for you. so long. I'm Venmoing you right now. I just want to <laughs> pause and let the world know. I mean, I've loved your work for a really long time, Thank far you. before the age of Instagram and before stalking you online and, <laughs> um, you know, have always felt really connected to it. And then Instagram gave me this, like, I felt like I could know you a little bit in this oh. funny squares way. And I just want everyone to know that I was struggling so much with Finn, my son, my youngest child's sleep. And Lindsay mailed me physically in the mail a sleep guide book. So oh. <laughs> it was, I honestly, I felt like that was like my real coming of age in that moment. That, that was so rules. special. <laughs> it was so wonderful. So my favorite thing <laughs> is to just... be there for other moms. I cannot get enough of it. So I am so glad that that helped well, you you're amazing so thank you just, Likewise. I was like how can I weave this anecdote into this podcast because it really <laughs> feels like it needs to be in there I'm, I also I'm wanted to tell both of you that I'm also an Aries so we have oh, welcome, Aries welcome. on the line no wonder yeah. we're vibing so well we're vibing so. <laughs> this is the new show this is the new this show this is the show yeah actually this is the final form <laughs> this is my audition yay you're in <laughs> I mean Aries are the best so we all yeah. know it. We all know it. We know it. Chelsea, I almost wore my gold dress. <gasps> oh um, my goodness. But even though we're not no none of us can see each other. I, I just I felt like I should, but I I, I just couldn't get out of my sweatshirt. Lindsay, I'm, you wore yeah. that at a reading that we did together when you were very pregnant with Judith. And I have an amazing picture of us together with you in that dress. And oh my gosh, Alex, that is a different gold item that I have. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. It is gold and sparkly though, right? Am I crazy? Oh no, okay, you're not okay, crazy. Okay, okay. No, you're not crazy at all. No, it's 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 a different gold item. And I actually oh did God. ask for gold leggings for Christmas this year. So we'll see. Um, oh, I love it. Yes, in honor of Chelsea and her beautiful book, Godshot, which everybody should buy from your local independent bookstore. Yeah. Or our um, bookshop affiliate page. Pre, can you pre-order Heartbroke? I don't think so. Probably okay. this summer. When, as soon as you can, yeah. we will let people know. And you can pre-order yeah. that from your local independent bookstore or bookshop. And then Chelsea, tell us what, tell us what the novel, we got a little glimpse of it. What, you know, kind of what are the, the, the depths that you're plumbing right now? That sounded gross, but you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> No, I like it. Um, well, so, you know, I'm, I want to write a book about motherhood that is, I think what I've realized, you know, six years into this gig, uh, my daughter is six, is that we, we have in our minds that there's going to be this baby phase that is somehow like, there's a beginning and end to it. And what I've learned is that actually, 
it never ends. Like there's always something, there's always this learning curve. There's always a challenge. There's all, I mean, there's always a sleep issue, right? Uh Six that doesn't really stop. And, and I wanted to look at, you know, the postpartum weaning thing, um, that hormonal story, um, because I think in so many books about motherhood, I read, it's almost like there's a gap where we see maybe the early baby phase is characterized, or there's like the mother that's arrived already and her kids are like 12, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but I am craving more of this, like this in the trenches when they're like two and a half or three, you know, um, and also exploring like being the mom of siblings and what that's mm. like, because that has been in my life, another mysterious thing to navigate. I was, I grew up kind of an only child situation. So having these sibling relationships and navigating um, the parsing of atten- one's attention and energy is interesting to me. And, mm-hmm. and so there's that, but then also, you know, thinking so much about how having children, it just does trigger or, or bring to the surface, like we were talking about earlier, maybe anger from one's own childhood or memories and trauma. And, and so the book is also about the navigation of, of facing some trauma, which is hard actually to write on the page. It's like, how do I make um, maybe a childhood trauma that happened to this woman dynamic on the page in real time mm-hmm. is the challenge of this book. I think for me, it's, it's like she's confronted now through this sort of hormonal trigger to go into like this different headspace where she is suddenly remembering her childhood in this really vivid way that feels mm-hmm. so intense and so real to her in the moment. But yet on the surface, she's you know, in yoga class, she's like picking a kid up from school. She's functioning as this human in the world that seems very high functional, but, but, but much of the novel's motion is happening under those waters. So I don't know. It's about that. It's about domestic violence. It's, I'm really selling it right now. I'm like, it's no, so you are. happy. It, it's like it sounds like my kind of book. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but it's just, these are the things that don't stop once you become a parent. Like right. we're not, there's no end to the processing of, of things. The things still come up. We're still people. It's like identity. You're a parent. And then also I'm a writer, but you know, I'm mm-hmm. a parent, but <laughs> <Yeah>. also <laughs> yep. I need to go to therapy yep. and I haven't been able to since March. So you guys are now mm. my therapist. Thank hey, you. We get it. I go to therapy <laughs> online. So yeah, there same. You go. I know. Same. I know I'm in between therapists right now. It's a real problem. I need to, to, I've been meditating. I was like, I'll just meditate. And then that's, that'll be it. But I'm thinking the clock. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. No, No, it's really powerful. Actually. It's great. But I do, I kind of am in a place where I'm like, maybe I could get another voice in the room. With some of this stuff. I was thinking Alex and I should do a special episode where we list all the things that we do. And maybe this, I'm speaking for both of us, Alex, I haven't told him this yet, no, where you. we just list all the things that we do in our lives to not be, to, to not descend into a depression. Oh God. <laughs> Let's talk um, about some right now. Oh my God. It's like, I got to exercise all the yes, time. Yes. I got to, I got to yeah, get you're, outside. You're on the Peloton bike. Oh yeah. Come Tell on me about that. Swaggerly on Peloton, y'all. If you're on the Peloton, 
come come it looks come so find me. fun it's it really looks fun great. it's really fun and i i was the first one to make fun of it before we got one and um you know like i've cried on the peloton oh i laugh I, my, I laugh a lot on the peloton i dance on the peloton it has been is the seat comfortable Ooh, okay good question my my vagina hurt for okay. yeah like I would say like a week to 10 days okay. and they sell, but then, then, then you get used to it. And I don't know how, does that mean I have calluses? I don't know. No, I don't it's a callus situation. It's, calluses, it's not, yeah. it doesn't seem calloused. <laughs> That'll be on our Patreon, Alex. Let's put that on yeah. the Patreon. Well, that's, we explore that further. You said um, the $20 price point, right? No, at least 25. 25. Right? Um, but no, you do get used to it. And I don't know why. Maybe you like learn how to sit. But they do yeah. sell um, shorts that have padding in them. So if you're, Ooh, they do get I you, mean. they get you out of the saddle a lot. So merch. They got that merch. You have that merch. Oh, and it's expensive. <laughs> um, but no, I love that. Yeah. So, you know, there's like things that we all do to, because we know if we don't do them, we're going to. Mm-hmm. Go to the bad place. It's not reading for me. I, I have been struggling to read more than like a page at a time. And there's so many things that I want to be reading, but I just, writing has, I, I've been able to write during this period, but yeah, the mm-hmm. reading has been tough. I don't know. Yeah. I've, I've actually been like with the physical movement, I feel like I will now prioritize like a two mile walk over mm like an hour of writing because I, I just have to be like outside. I, I mean, it's like a desperate feeling. Mm. Um, So yeah, that movement is very key. I see the difference if I don't get to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm. My final question for you is do your kids believe in Santa Claus? (gasps) Okay. So both of you, please answer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Um, hell yeah. Yeah. So it's funny because at first, like when Harper was little, I thought, what am I going to like do about this? Is this just, am I going to say that it's real? What, what's the deal? And I thought I'll just approach it as if Santa is the character in a story. We'll just mm-hmm. read a story. Santa's the character. We, we believe in Santa as if we believe in any other character in our imaginations, you know, I'm not, but I'm not going to get tactile with it. I'm not going to be like a man's coming in tonight. And it's gonna, like, <laughs> You know, I'm just going to let her kind of take it where she wants. Okay. And it's interesting because she fully believes in Santa. I've never said it. I I mean, she's just picking it up from wherever. And I think there's the desire to believe in it. It feels Mm -hmm. very evident in her. But but she's at the age now where she started asking me, like, rapid fire questions about what I believe in. Like, she'll ask me about religion. She'll ask Mm -hmm. me about, about Santa. And and I always just kind of say, like, you know, I don't know. The, the beauty is the mystery. And mm-hmm. if, if you believe it in your heart, then that's, that's wonderful. And I'll do this, like, long, winding explanation when she probably just really wants, like, a yes or a no. But <laughs> Part um, I just leave the door open. Yeah. That's – that. I have a friend who told me that he didn't let his, he didn't tell his kids about Santa Claus because he, he didn't want Santa to get credit for the presents he got them. (laughs) (laughs) And that was before I had kids. So I was like, okay, Grinch. But now that I have kids and I'm putting in all this time and money yes, only for my kids to be like, yay, Santa. I'm like, what am I, what have I done? And my, my seven-year-old, my almost eight-year-old Parker, he, he really, he's getting close to just 
like he'll he has said like I think it's you mom I think it's you and I'll say the same thing like well I don't know you know like and I I start thinking to myself like why don't I why did I do this now I have to tell him like I've been insane for the past eight years and let you believe this crazy thing (laughs) because for me like the magic is so important right like like you're saying like the mystery um but I do think he just wants me to level with him you know and and he'll see, like, he sees the, the boxes arrive mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, well, Santa needed our help this year. He needed to just ship it to us. And he's like, uh-huh. you know, it works on like my four-year-old and my two-year-old who has no idea what Santa yeah. is. But it's just, I feel so silly. My so. daughter recently was like, well, mom, we literally saw Santa last year at this oh. mountain. Don't you remember? Like, cause we took a picture with Santa. Oh. We got our tree and I was like, oh. Well, sure. Yeah, I remember. Like, so, so I'm seeing the way that she took that in as really literal, like that we visited him. So how could you not believe? So. And you did. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Alec? We're, uh, we're very Grinch focused right now as far mm-hmm. as like uh, the 2018 feature film, The Grinch, that they just pulled off Netflix, which ruined a couple of days for mm. us. Oh, no. um, but because of the pandemic, you know, there's no other kids in our lives except, you know, on the telephone it's not a telephone, the cell phone. And uh, <laughs> so we can just like sidestep entire realities and there's no Santa now. It's just like Grinch, yeah. the Grinch like hood that she wears when she gets out of the shower and runs around and like, you know, just Grinch life is it. I love I think it. that's the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> there never was a Santa. There never there's will no be a Santa. Santa. There's no yeah. Santa. Just Grinch. <laughs> like last year I got my son. He loved Raina Telgmeier books and I got him a signed copy Whoa. of one of her books and i was like this is from santa <laughs> you know anyway um well thank you so much chelsea thank you this talk- was so fun thank you both so much this was just the highlight of my week where can people go to find out more about you um i have a website it's a fledgling little website chelseabeaker.com um Awesome. Any hot tips for WordPress? I'm, I'll take them. We need them too. We were just talking about that. <laughs> yeah, pass those along to us. It's not my. It's not really in my wheelhouse to know how to how to work those web pages, but mm-hmm. I'm trying. I have a Tumblr, so I mean, don't don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Tumblr is vintage. I like it. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank yeah, you, thank and you. we look forward to everything that's coming. Absolutely. Likewise. Have a right. good night. You too. Bye. 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 I think that's the first person we've had on who has listened to the show because it's been out. And that was really exciting. It kind of felt like Chelsea knew the vibe coming in. And, uh, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, it was, it was, I don't know. I think I geek out on stuff like that. Talking, you know, talking to someone about how they work, what mm-hmm. they're working on, the struggles, um, you know, the she was totally game. She was totally game to just tell us. So mm-hmm. that made it so fun. How has your week been? Have you gotten any work done? Uh, I have. Yeah. I'm still plugging away on this on this novel um and yeah i have been getting work done so it 
but it's you know it's baby steps it's what about bob um <laughs> what about you i get mad when people when you say baby steps and people don't know that it's, oh, it's all i think about <laughs> dr leo marvin all day in my head just like <laughs> oh my god that that movie siggy jumping on the bed <laughs> kind of swearing was like a religious experience for me. <laughs> it's my big bowl of vanilla ice cream <laughs> I mean, I love to hear about people's childhood go-to snacks. Sure. Hershey syrup, vanilla ice cream, Cap'n Crunch on top sometimes. Oh, wow. Yeah. What I have a friend, a friend who used to wax poetic about eating Wheat Thins and Dr. Pepper. What the fuck? <laughs> that was like his thing. I don't know. We did weird things when I was a kid. We used to like dip our graham crackers in water. Okay. We would put butter on our graham crackers that I can, I, okay i can get down on that yeah it's good I, I i do it to this day i i can remember putting like old hardened frosting on a saltine okay i'm also there for that did right. you microwave tortillas with butter and just roll them up we would put butter and sugar on the tortillas and roll them yeah. up and eat them mm -hmm. yep cinnamon sugar for us but yeah same thing yeah we would microwave a string cheese on a plate until it was like fried to the plate and then peel it off and eat it that is a new one for me we would microwave uh, chocolate chips. Okay. Yes. And then just, you just had the goop or what? Yeah. We would just like, yeah, we just wanted the melty chocolate. <laughs> Probably ate it with our fingers. My God. Yeah. We, uh, cream cheese toast. Yep. That makes sense. It's a yep. big one for me. Like it, it had to be like dark toast <laughs> and then the cream cheese. Cream cheese was huge for me as a kid. Thankfully I have passed that down onto my children. They're it just comes cream. up. You just mentioned cream cheese. I feel like that is just cream cheese just comes up. That is a thing that you say. I, I think just, it's, I know it's a part of your life. There's like something there that if I like really look closely at, it's going to unlock a secret to my past that I probably mm. don't want to know. Mm. <laughs> I think, you know, <laughs> Oh, moving on. <laughs> um, I got work done. Work? Yeah. Yeah. I got work done. Uh, just, just not, not my full three days. Cause um, my, my middle child didn't have school on Friday and my oldest had screen free um, day after 11, which I thought was great that the school was yeah. doing. Cause it's just too much. Um, so yeah. I didn't really get, get the time, but um, you know, Next week is another week, mm. and I did what I could. Definitely, yes, we definitely did what we could. We're still. I, I just this holiday season is not a holiday season, and it's just so rapidly passing. I'm. We're not religious. I'm not religious, and so we're not marking it in that way. But just the normal like flow of the holidays, I feel like is gone this year, mm. and it's kind of. I think in my head, I haven't said this, but I think I feel this is just my holiday is 2021. I am like, okay, I need to flip the page on this year. I, so I think I'm just ready for a new thing and all energies focused there forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we've been like doing our best, like, you know, trying to go see, like we went and, and drove through Christmas light displays and, you know, like trying to find things we can do that are safe with the kids. Um, but yeah, it, it really does feel like, okay, let's just get there. Or let's just get through this. Definitely. Get to the next, next thing. 
definitely. Today was the first day that Britt and I had been out in public in a store together since March. And that was a totally alarming experience. I'm obviously out in public for my job all the time. And that has, you know, that feels one way. But being in public in a store with my wife and not... I hadn't felt it as a customer, like in, you know, like in a retail situation with her and seeing people acting as people will act without any way to address the situation responsibly felt terrible. And I don't know, it just, it's like, I don't know. I guess I'm still kind of every, it's still hitting me every day. What's happening. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, here it is. Yeah, it's it's rough. It's, you know, um, you just wish that we could have all united as one against it and yeah. and we just couldn't couldn't meet the moment. And um so that's that's rough. That's rough. Cool. The, I had a cashier, I went grocery shopping and there was a cashier and she had a mask on, but her nose was out. Oh my god, was, I was just gonna talk about this. She was coughing. Oh, Jesus. And I was like, uh, I'm just going to give her the benefit of the doubt. And I know this is a hard job and everything, but I was just like, what in the world? Why is there not a commercial on every four minutes on all the platforms that just put the goddamn mask over your nose? I know. What, like, what is it with people in their noses? Just hide them. I mean, I saw a really cool graphic that I think um, the city of Chicago put together and, and it was inside the elevator at the library. Okay. And it was like, this is wrong this is wrong. This is wrong. <laughs> like this is what it's supposed to look like. Cause you know, people put, put it so that it's like not over their chin or they put it below their nose or they, you know, have it hanging off their ear or whatever. Oh, it's hanging. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, you know, I don't know. I think masks are a good thing and we should probably keep doing them even after the vaccines come. Yeah. I mean, I've had norovirus yeah. from my kids Whoa. like way too many times. <laughs> I would oh. like, to stop getting norovirus okay like i'm i'm tired of that <laughs> so yeah, yeah uh, i don't know anyway. i can't imagine i can't imagine so many things now the like a plane a baseball game mm-hmm. all these things it seems like i don't know it's just whatever i don't know how we got here I, but i went to so many um live music shows in mm, my 20s in yeah. my, my my late teens and my 20s that i got so sick of it um, and now I, I'm desperate to go see live music. Yeah. I just want to go see someone. Live music would be good. I just want to go to the bar and have three beers with a good friend and mm-hmm. eat lunch and leave. That's mm-hmm. all I want to do. I just want to yes. eat lunch and leave. And uh, just like a, a delicious margarita. Yes, yeah, sure. Margarita. Absolutely. I want to go Loud music. Yeah. Go to women and children first. Go to hop leaf after like. Come on. I know. Like see a friend, oh talk to you. I know. And these are things like pre-pandemic, you know. No, oh, I didn't do these things pre-pandemic. No, just, no, yeah, no, no. But now I'm like, oh, if only. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Do you want to read anything? I have nothing, Lindsay. Alex? I'm sorry. Do you have anything? I always have something. Is it about cream cheese? Oh, my gosh. No, I don't think there's any cream cheese in it. You're not positive, though? 
I'm not, I mean, there just could be, I should, after this, I should control F for cream cheese in my manuscript. Cause I bet it's, it's going to be 17. It's definitely an eat only when you're hungry. 17. <laughs> <laughs> you know how, when you're editing and you're like, wow, I use the word, you know, suddenly so many times I am so embarrassed. It's going to be my suddenly is going to be cream cheese. <laughs> My, uh, yeah, my version of that is the word fess. I had that a million times in the book I'm working on. Like, instead of saying confess, I kept saying fess. And it's like, you are an asshole, Alex. Shut up. Uh, I know. There's, there's just those ticks. They're so, so embarrassing. And they're so telling. Oh, yeah. Oh, That's man. Stupid. Somebody tweeted, writers, please learn how to write an M dash. Yes. And I almost burn my laptop because I I'm looking right now and I've, my M dashes are just a mess. Did you, do you get uh, John Lennon's newsletter that he sends out? No. He, the one that he sent out today was about this very topic and it was excellent. I'm going to forward it to you. I used to know how to do it, but then like, it's different in every program. Like when you write in word, you do an M dash this way. When you write in Google docs, it's this way. I mean, was that the oldest thing I've ever sent in my life? <laughs> we can try for older. <laughs> I was just going to read, because um, I was talking last week about um, like writing as a collage mm -hmm. and how I was wanting to look at this crime from, you know, like a bunch of different viewpoints and, and perspectives and, you know, um, even down to like what what I'm about to read, which is when they this family first buys the house and it's from the perspective of the realtor. And I don't think you'll ever see the realtor again. Cool. Um, so it's sort of like this, like stranger's viewpoint of, of these people. Nice. It's pretty short. Um, and, and that's the other thing is like, I'm not, I guess I, I never do this, but I'm not holding myself to any sort of like chapter length. Like if it's, if it's a 500 word chapter, then that's fine. I love that. So that's basically what I think this is. All right. The house wasn't brand spanking new when they moved in, but it was as close as an older couple had purchased it five years prior, had it built from the ground up, and then they died within three months of each other and the house went up for sale and the Newsoms bought it. The hell did two old folks need with all this space? Their father asked the realtor. The house was perfect with bedrooms and bathrooms enough for everyone in a yard with a tree perfect for a tire swing and a kitchen in which more than one person can stand. And he, a car salesman with a nose so fine-tuned to bullshit that now he smelled it everywhere, began to feel cheated. You know, I once heard of this drug ring that buys houses where they can cook their filthy substances or store kidnap victims or he leaned in to inspect a smudge on the wall, you know murder someone in this bedroom, count their money in that bedroom. He looked to the realtor, a woman with the determination of someone on her third career, intense eye contact, smile as rigid and welcoming as a brick wall, moist eyes, waiting for her to confirm or deny, or at the very least, join him on his riff. Is that so? She asked. I hadn't heard about that. She looked at the mother, at the two little ones hugging her calves. She felt for the woman. She was herself just out of her second marriage, and it was occurring to her more and more that the problem was that she just didn't like the sound of a man's voice. Did they have to comment on everything? Her ex, Dan, used to stand outside the bathroom door and ask her when she'd be done. Seems to me it's your job to be up on those kinds of stories, Mr. Newsom said. And that was the other thing. Men like to smell blood in the water. They like to circle in so they could chomp, so they could kill you. Not kill you, but everything was win-lose and losing meant they'd killed you. She could put on a slideshow of the times they, her exes, held something up in triumph. Mark with a cereal box proving the one she'd bought wasn't the same as the one he liked. Dan with her new bra shouting about the price. 
Mark with a sex magazine to prove what he wanted wasn't so offensive? Did men just walk around all day wondering why everyone was in their way? You'll have to send me the article, the realtor said, knowing there wasn't any such thing. She knelt down, her skirt stretching taut across her ass and making a worrisome stretching sound. I bet you boys can't wait to play out in that yard. They turned to look out the sliding glass doors, still clutching their mother and still clutching their mother in their fists at the small patio beyond the green patchy grass. In the far corner was a blue ball. The people who lived here before had a whole mess of grandkids, the realtor said. I bet that's their ball, left here special, just for you. She stood up. Why don't I take the children outside so you two can talk? She looked at Mrs. Newsom when she said this. She was there, but she wasn't. The same had happened to the realtor's sister after having kids. The realtor wanted Mrs. Newsom to make this decision. It was the right one. She needed a yard she could see from a variety of angles, out the kitchen window and out the family room window, so she could have some peace and quiet without losing sight of them. She imagined Mr. Newsom lifting weights in the garage, which was a generous way of putting it. She saw him sort of holding one up, getting distracted by his own thoughts, then pumping a few times for good measure, getting distracted again. Striding down his driveway to get the newspaper, hosting barbecues on that tidy patio. She watched them through the garage. She watched them through the glass doors, Mr. Newsom pacing in a slow circle, and Mrs. Newsom half turned toward the yard, ever the worried mother, but the realtor saw her make a sharp motion with her hand, and when they came out, they agreed to buy the house. That's it. I like anything with people watching other people, because it's so scary. <laughs> yeah. Plus, I love to do that myself. Well, duh, yeah. We drove through that neighborhood looking at lights with the kids and it was so fun to look in everyone's windows and be like oh they're watching this they're watching that or they're running around God. <laughs> nobody was running around i don't know what i'm talking about they're running around in a circle <laughs> um yeah that's it i think you know i'm just gonna keep one of my peloton instructors talks about how the holidays are difficult so you have to make sure you keep showing up to you know to exercise to get in that cardio mm. and his recommendation was do it three times a week because that's pretty doable three oh times God. 30 minutes each time and i feel the same way about writing it's like this like writing amid the chaos of being a parent is chaos within chaos but if you if you promise yourself that you'll do it when you can then it feels a little bit more in control yeah and you, you can know. pretend it is low bar i think that's that's something that a lot of people really beat themselves up about yeah not totally. getting uh not getting strong sentences down or something that even makes sense to themselves but that really doesn't matter nothing nothing matters until it actually matters and that's uh, in the future so don't don't worry yeah i mean you guys heard i just used the word stretching twice in the same sentence yeah nobody noticed either so <laughs> You know, like everybody was paying attention and nobody noticed. <laughs> so keep working. We have more episodes to come. Thanks for listening. Bye. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Higley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Because there's a pandemic out there, please wear a mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop.